And we're back. From the block to the boardroom, baby. Another episode. Here we go, here we go. Episode 10? I think so. I know they're going to go a lot faster this year than they did last oh, year. Oh, that's it, because now we got the formula. You know, last year was about branding. This year is about expanding. You know what I mean? So, we ready to cook. What's going on? What's going on? How you feeling? Can't complain, bro. Happy New Year to you, King. Happy New Year to you, Happy too, New Year, man. man. 2021. I know a lot of people have a bleak outlook on the year ahead, but, um, hey, listen, we made it to a new year. Um, you know, there were some good events towards Q4 in the last year that... I think we, there's some optimism. You know, we see some, we talked about it last episode. There's some optimism in the medical field with the vaccine and what that could possibly do with the virus. Um, I think a lot of people are optimistic, at least not guaranteed it's going to be a better roses, but optimistic about the Biden-Harris administration. So, you know, I know a lot of the problems of 2020 have definitely still carried over into 2021, but it's a new year. It's a new year. And I think if anything, 2020 made us stronger, more resilient people. You know, the, the, the things that we learned about ourselves um, financially, you know, if, the, if, it, if 2021 doesn't make you, uh, 2020 doesn't make you a better saver, a better planner, maybe make you think about more streams of income because you were forced to do that in 2020. You know, sometimes when your back's against the wall, you come out a better person. So happy new year, King. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the year. Um, how are you though, man? How, how are you doing mentally? So I'm good. Uh, mentally, I'll start. I, I, was, I had to two ways that my mind is going mentally right now. One is like, you know, I have this voice in my head of my grandmother going, that's still family. Um, just meaning it, it's just a reminder of when you go through things and sometimes you feel like you can't do more. Just a simple reminder from one of your elders saying that's still family it makes you go out and do more. So just applying that to a bunch of different things and trying to also pivot and, you know, trying to make sure you follow happiness, especially after mm. you've gone through everything that you've gone through. And then another aspect of my mind is currently on expanding. Uh, kind of like, the, I feel like that's just gonna be our theme for the year. Last year was about branding, this year is about expanding. And for me, it's about expanding financially, expanding financial-wise. And Dope. I've spent a lot of time trying to play catch up, which is what I'm doing now. So just learning more about stock markets, learning more about investments, but then also learning how to position to have certain businesses, because I feel like we can make money on the stock markets, which is great. We can also make some of those companies that make money on the stock market instead of just waiting for them to come right. around. So looking at those different kind of opportunities and also I'm going to speak on that much more when we get to the political session with how Cuomo wants to legalize marijuana and some of those things. But I'll kick it to you. How you doing mentally, kid? How's it going? I can't complain, brother. I'm doing I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And I, I love that mindset you mentioned. Um, you know, and I was definitely, you know, I was definitely uh think thinking of similar things because um, as you know, I'm in the financial research sector, working for a credit rating agency. Um, but the avenues that I can go about investing are very specific because there's this kind of notion by the SEC that we get information ahead of time, we're very regulated as to what we can own. And also it's, it's quite a arduous process to own something. It almost deters you from what, cause you gotta now sit down and interview and really make sure that no intel, like that was just a decision you made by yourself. No intel was given to you to make that decision. But um, no, same thing because, um, you know, we'll talk a, maybe a little bit more when we get to business, but you know, I, I'm trying to look at things from a different angle. 
in terms of what's going on in business this year. Like, you know, we see the surge of Bitcoin as of recently. But one thing I was reading was that um, a solid 20 percent of um, Bitcoin is inaccessible because people can't find their passwords. And I was like, well, you know who that sounds like that's a good business for? Data security. Data security lockers. So basically, those are like the companies that store your passwords and other basically like, like a vault, like a vault that you would go to in person and like you would put your papers and your will there and only you can, you know, go through a series of security tests to unlock the vault that on the technology platform, basically uh, uh, businesses that store passwords and other privacy e-data for you to get because i was like well you know if, if, if you invest a solid amount of money in bitcoin let's say you have like a solid 10k in bitcoin i would imagine you want more than just you pay your, your, your password written down or in your phone because god forbid you lose that or whatever that's a that's that's gone you know so um i was reading i was like wow 20 percent of bitcoin um right now with the surge people can't even access it because they can't access their their account so that's how i thought about that you know and that's not saying that i I haven't thought about okay maybe it's time to purchase bitcoin again or or buy more but as you mentioned not just thinking of it investing directly in what already exists is how can i position to get in also so that instantly led to a, a rabbit hole of me looking up um data security companies which ones exist right now? Ones that store people's, you know, um, passwords and things like that. What's their model? Are in a public things of that nature? Um, so I love that mindset, bro. But doing well, King. Doing well. Remember, you know, I mentioned to you since the move. Blink is right around the corner from me. So I feel good, man. I've I've been cutting the excuses and I've been getting there very often because, like I said last episode, there's there's really no reason for me to not be on it. I don't got to drive. I literally it's legit two blocks away. So. You know, cutting the excuses, getting to it. Um, so far this year hasn't been um, too hectic yet. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're mid-January right now. Hasn't been too hectic. Um, I've already enjoyed a lot of the good content that's been dropping online. You have the um, Tiger Woods documentary um, that's on HBO right now. Some good insight there. Me and you were talking before this um before this uh, episode started recording, we were talking about Your Honor on yeah, Showtime, sure. and I'm definitely feeling that right now. That's that's my joint right now until Snowfall come back. You know, I really I really like Your Honor. Now that's keeping me on the edge of my seat. Cobra um, Kai. What's that? Cobra Kai. I'm what's a karate that? kid. Uh, it's on Netflix. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember you were telling me about uh, that. Bridgerton. Bridgerton. So, so wifey loves Bridgerton. So, for, so, like, nine out of ten times, I was watching. So, nine out of ten times, if I come to the crib, and she's in the living room watching TV. It's probably either on Bridgerton or The Crown. The Crown is on um, the whole Windsor family. The Crown, I watch with her somewhat. I haven't tuned in to Bridgerton yet. Um, Bridgerton, I tuned in one time, and I just it seemed like a little royal porno. I saw a little interesting. <laughs> saw a little, I saw a little interesting scene. I was like, yo, <laughs> but I'm gonna check it out. I'm gonna check it out. I just, I just, I just haven't checked. I just haven't checked it out yet. But I know the ladies particularly are very. In love with Bridgerton, they are. They're, they're in love with a specific character. Well, quite Lord, excited Lord, by Lord. the uh, things taking place there. Yeah, no, they love Lord Hastings. Right, they love, even though they categorize him as the fuckboy of eighteen of that of that era. Yeah, because he told Shorty, "I can't be with you because of my trauma." And right, I, I had trauma that's not dealt with, so I can't be with you. Right, and they're like, "This is how fuckboys." Mm. Like, so but but we also speak about transparency yeah. or mental health and right. being upfront with your traumas, you know, and, and mentioning if you need healing. And yeah. here we have somebody 
Man, interesting. See, I didn't watch the show, but I'm already seeing the hypocrisy that I often see on social media. Interesting, brother. So yeah, Bridgerton. Um, uh, today when I when I get back to the crib, I'm gonna watch MLK versus the FBI okay. because um, you know, both of us we're, we're both very informed on MLK. Um, and oftentimes, such an MLK day, you often see a particular narrative on MLK, yes. and. I'm always very conscious on showing the truth in terms of, you know, there was always this idea that MLK and Malcolm X had this large dissonance between them, which they may have been beginning, but a lot of times they don't talk about towards the end of both their lives, how they realized that there was a lot of similarities. Absolutely. And there was, you know, a, a, agreements that, that were made on both sides, on, on both sides. Malcolm X apologized for certain things and Dr. King apologized for certain things and they saw, you know, similarities. Also, um, you know, he's often heralded as this wild, this uh, large um, figure of peace and um, an American figure, but they don't mention in 1967 how he was, you know, viewed amongst most Americans. Like I said, not just you know, African-Americans are most Americans. So do realize that, you know, uh, white Americans are the largest demographic population in the United States. So most Americans had voted him um, one of the most hated people in America at the time. You know, he wasn't always this hero. You know, I mean, the FBI was very much behind it. The FBI had an open investigation on him as they did Malcolm X. So, mm-hmm. so things like that, I feel, because, you know, a lot of times you'll, you know, it's it's the society we live in. You'll you'll get the the nice version of things. You know, the, the the narrative that they want to perpetuate, not actually what it is. So I'm gonna check that out. Um, something I checked out recently too, man, which was real great, directed by Regina King. I think this is her directorial uh, debut. I think so. Cause she didn't direct Watchmen, did she? No, I don't believe so. Okay, so this is her directorial debut. Um, One Night in Miami. Based upon a play that came out, um, I'm not sure exactly when it came out, but I know there's a play version of of, of One Night Miami took place, and it's basically and it, it, it's it's funny because my boy um, tweeted something about it, and he was like, "Yo, it was really the four of them arguing in a hotel room for ninety percent of the movie, but it was still dope." So Absolutely. to backtrack, essentially, we're talking about Jim Brown, Jim Brown. The great football player, uh, fullback, running back for the Cleveland Browns, who I didn't know. I didn't know that Jim Brown, um, oddly, grew up in Manhasset, right in, in Long Island, where, Amer- where Americana Mall is. So, and he went to Syracuse afterwards. Yeah. So, quick background with that: he was born on an island. I think it's called St. Simon Island, if I'm not mistaken, right off the coast of Georgia. And his mom was up in New York working for, as a maid for a wealthy family in Manhattan, because Manhattan is still a very white, wealthy area now. So you already know back then in the 50s, it was even more like that. And some, I guess um, the family was maybe more progressive, whatever, but they allowed for her to send for her son and come live with them. So naturally he went to the schools in that area, yeah. So yeah, so Jim Brown grew up in Manhattan after he moved up from Georgia, and then he went to Syracuse. But yeah, Jim Brown, um, the great Sam Cooke, singer, um, songwriter, producer, um, Sam Cooke, um, Muhammad Ali starts out as Cassius Clay in the beginning of the movie, a great, a great boxer. Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay, and, and and the night this takes place, at least in the movie, is right after the big Sonny Liston fight was really one of the benchmark fights of his career, where he, he really when he became the champ, where you know that was the the major hurdle, um, and Malcolm X. So, um, you know, I, I thought the movie was great. I thought the movie was very insightful. I thought it showed. It, it was bigger than just arguing. It was, it was a meeting of the minds, but I think it also showed 
a lot of introspection, them looking into themselves. Because, you know, there were there were certain things that were there, there were certain things that were said in certain moments where each one of them had to question themselves and question what they've done themselves and where they were going. That happened to Malcolm, Sam had definitely happened to Sam, um, Jim Brown. Um, Jim Brown, I think he kind of played the role of moderator a lot of times and, and it captures also, himself. His, his, so to give people to, to give our audience some of the background, just in case you didn't see it, there are four men from, let's say, different points of life. Right. Not, yeah. not, not based on skin color because they're all black men. Right. They're all progressive and they all want social justice. Right. But Jim Brown is an athlete. Right. And if you thought LeBron was in the shut up and dribble era, Jim Brown was in the shut up, do what I say era or else you'd be gone. Yep. And he spoke out against that from being at Syracuse, being in the NFL throughout his entire year, all of that. You have Sam Cooke, who was a famous songwriter, but at that point had never really produced something that talked about the struggle with the exception of chain gang. Right. And if you right. don't know what the chain gang, it refers to Ooh. when ah, people that's my joint. Yeah, that's my joint. When people are when prisoners are shackled together and they're walking together on the line mm-hmm. and you can hear the chains dingling. Mm-hmm. Right. So But even with that, he made it chain gang, like I said, it has that sound and it'd be like the ooh ha. But it's very much a, a pop song. Like a kind of song where like, you know, people go to the roller rink or to the burger joint in the fifties, happy days type C's and dance to it and do the swing and not even realize that it's a song about African-American incarceration. Yeah. yeah. You have uh, Muhammad Ali, who was always outspoken. I'm the prettiest, I'm the best, I'm everything. And then you have Malcolm X, who is, he's somebody who feels like he's already on the back end of his life. Right. Even though he's very young. Even though he's very young. And he's trying to make as much of a statement in history as he possibly can. At that moment. By getting his no. brothers to focus their talents to speak up for everybody else. And also, key key context, at this point in the movie, um, this is like when Malcolm X kind of feels like his back is against the wall because he's yes. already had the falling out with Elijah Muhammad and, and, and much of the nation. And um, for lack of better words, he's, he's a very paranoid man at this point. He, yes. he feels watched. Rightfully he's not so. sure. He's rightfully so. He's not sure what the nation's next move is. Um, you see the scene with us. He's, he's very financially concerned. Because, you know, pretty, you know, he doesn't, they, they mentioned Jim Brown made a joke about it. The rest of them have livelihoods based off of craft. A lot of the money that uh, Malcolm X has, or just even lifestyle things, are funded by the nation for him, right? So his whole, his whole concern is, you know, if I'm excommunicated from the nation, you know, how do I go about making a living? You know, his wife even says, like, you know, the home that we live in, this, that. They own that. You don't own that. So, and, and Malcolm X's position is he wants to start another movement. Right. And understand that this is right before his trip to Mecca, because when he went to Mecca, he came back with a different viewpoint on humanity. Mm-hmm. Well, let me not say different. He came back with an upgraded viewpoint. A clearer insight. Yeah, right. Because for the most part, the nation of Islam is really a black one man's eyes. Yes. Muslim. Right. That grew up in an area of the world, which is America, right. where they kill black people. Right. So in the majority of these people that are killing black people are white Christians. Right. So the nation of Islam is back then was heavily based on protecting themselves and the white man was the devil. Right. Because that was just based on America. On their particular Malcolm X going to the Mecca saw that there were white Muslims. Mm. There were Muslims of all different 
uh, descendants, mm-hmm. and it really gave him a different. He saw Islam itself on the, on the global scale. So yeah. when he came back, and this is why him and Martin Luther King is getting along better now. Well, before they passed, yeah. You know. So they are having this fight about how to go about and how to move the the movement and how to phrase it. And Malcolm X is almost being overbearing because of how stressed yeah, he is. Yep, and yep. he's calling them out. And the person that he digs into the most is really Sam Cooke, mm-hmm. right? Um, because he wants more from Sam Cooke, more of the writing. But we were talking about how this still translates to today because all of them was playing different roles in the struggle, in the fight. Different angles. Right? And too often today what we do is we say it has to be one way. One way or, or nothing. And because people think it's one way, when, when people were protesting for George Floyd, there was a heavy thought that if you wasn't out in these streets, you weren't actually helping, right? If you wasn't standing up, calling out people for their racism, you wasn't actually helping. When the truth of the matter is, we all help from different, from different angles. Yeah. angles. Yeah. We need some people who are the silent partners who never speak out about it, but they are positioned... Doing research or doing getting people jobs, opening doors that normally wouldn't be open, funding stuff. Yeah, so yeah. We need the people who are going to be loud and speak out, like the Malcolm X right. and Martin Luther King that be on the line. We need the people that's in the background that speak out, but... When they normally speak out, they don't get the reaction that Martin Luther King and Malcolm X do. So they speak from the backgrounds and they work everything. Mm-hmm. So it makes Malcolm X and Martin Luther King job easier. The orchestrators more so. Yeah. And one of those people that we're going to get in and transition into is the Stacey Abrams. And what she's done yep. in Georgia. Right. So yep. she lost the governor election. The and and yep. that's probably why she wasn't selected to be the vice president. Right. Because you don't want to... You don't want to choose somebody to run with you that can't win their own state. True. However, she won Georgia for Joe Biden. She won Georgia for the two senators. It could be argued, bro, that that gubernatorial loss almost expanded her political purpose. Absolutely. Because once she lost that race, she's like, you know what? Well, I'm going to focus on a way that if I can't be the governor of Georgia, I'm going to figure out a way to actually change historical district ties that go back to when Dr. King was in Georgia, you know? Um, and, and that's really on roughly the time scale of about two years of what she started doing district by district, you know? And we're talking about deep-rooted ties to the Republican Party dating back to around the 60s, 70s. And when you, when you listen to her talk, her strategy, it makes so much sense but then people get so stuck in their ways of just not wanting to try something new. And her strategy was that Democrats kept trying to win back those Democrats who went to the Republican Party. Right. Like oh, in Georgia, over and over and over. And, and she that was flip was to, taking place so long ago at And this she point. was trying to tell yeah. them, we have hundreds of thousands of unregistered Black people that have moved here that can turn every election for us. Let's get them registered to vote and move that way. And they thought that she was crazy for doing it. And the first turn of that tide was when she did it for the governor race. Nobody thought she was ever gonna be that close. And then she got that close. And then she did it for Biden, right? And it was the first time Georgia went blue, coincidentally enough, since the last Democrat who beat an incumbent Republican who was Clinton beating the first Bush. Mm -hmm. That's the last time Georgia went blue. So she turned it. Now she has to really focus on winning the governor seat 
or making sure that somebody like-minded women... I think that's the better... I was actually having this discussion with my cousin. I don't even... And this is no disrespect to Stacey Abrams and the trajectory of her career. Looking how this turned out and kind of like how you talked about people orchestrating, bro, I think this might be the best... the, the a, a continual route of this. You know? Of, of her... Like you said, I, I think it would be better for her to put someone that she can kind of mentor or put insight into in the in the gubernatorial race as opposed to her herself because it clearly shows that her ability to orchestrate and her influence there is strong um i feel like if she becomes the actual governor and she's forced the day-to-day work of governor issues and then you know her, her capacity of things that she can manage or just even what she could work on is limited but i think she stays in the background bro Bro, she came came through with a with a killer killer uppercut, bro. You know what I mean? Like, uh, but but not from in the ring though. Like she told, you know. So, yeah. you know, like I said, I'm, it's not that I want to stall her career. I just feel like, bro, she that's that's what she could really kill. You know, she, she won, she won. And low key, that's kind of like what politics is really about, bro. Sometimes playing politics is smart is not necessarily the races that you you put your people, your understudies, or the people that you can kind of, for lack of better words, puppet. You know, in power. You know, that's what people said. Dick Cheney, that whole movie Vice, they, yes. they said that's what Dick Cheney was the real president. George Bush was just a likable face that was the president because he could win the election. Dick Cheney couldn't win it. But they were saying Dick Cheney called all the shots. You Absolutely. know, Absolutely. Dick Cheney called all the shots. That's in that. a funny movie. Yeah, Vice was funny. Vice was hilarious. <laughs> but it, it was good. It was, it was good. It was, it was, it was real good. It explained a lot and, and it was funny. It was good. Um, so this upcoming, is it Wednesday? We have Joe, Joe Biden's... Um, inauguration i don't know if you saw on uh saturday well we already know there's a lot of tension but you already saw that saturday they had arrested a man with fake uh inauguration credentials um unregistered gun and tons of ammunition on him had a lot of ammunition so we can already see the type of climate of 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 where we're heading and possible uh plans to to thwart or, or 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 bring uh violence to the inauguration and that's been brewing for a while you know i don't want to put too much energy into this but we all saw what took place um two weeks ago with the storm at the capitol uh some of the after effects well or the lack thereof of after effects we're already seeing it bonds being issued to uh domestic terrorists as we should call them you know bonds being issued and you know things that shouldn't be issued to people who uh, storm the Capitol building, but we 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 on the show and and, and many of us, your listeners, our, our listeners, we know what that's really about. We know, you know, people often ask the question, uh, you know, why does it have to be about race? But it always comes down to race because everything in this country is about race. So we're already aware that um, despite the rebel nature of what they did, and despite it being uh, hypocritical to everything that they quote unquote stand for. The law is going to work different for them, and they'll be uh, not persecuted to the fullest extent of the law, if we're, if we're, if we're being honest. Um, but that is the climate that we're in right now. Um, it also kind of makes me think back to uh, some of the people, and we talked about this um, in an episode last um, last year. A lot of, of our own folk who was talking about what's the difference if Biden wins or if Trump wins, it's the same for black folk. Bro, if, if you, I, I always said, I was like, if you think it's going to be, and I'm not saying it's going to be a better roses with Biden, but if you think it's going to be the same, I think you underestimate the feeling of white supremacy and where it stands presently and of diehard Trump supporters. Because if it was all the same, this outrage, 
that you're seeing, and it's not over. Trust me, it's far from over. I mean, that's just reality. I don't, I don't want to see more violence, but it's not over because the feeling's there. You know, True. the feeling, the feeling is there, and it's only gonna bubble more throughout his presidency. But it wouldn't take place if it didn't make a difference. You know, agree it you. wouldn't take place if it didn't make a difference. And so we have the the inauguration that's coming up. Uh, I'm really excited to see Kamala Harris on that stage and seeing a woman who, a black woman, who went to Howard and at the time of going to Howard, probably thought she was never going to be able to stand on the White House stage. And I think for her to make that transition from the hood where Howard is located to the quote unquote mountaintop of America, which is the White House, is dope and it's amazing. And seeing her there, uh, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to her face, in in that moment because it's when when Barack did it, his first inauguration in '09, that was a moment. Yeah. Oh yeah. And we didn't appreciate it so much when he did it again in 2013. We was happy, but '09 was a moment. And 2021, watching a black woman up there, that's going to be a moment. Uh, a black woman who is in the black sorority, uh, who practice it comes from like the black mecca of HBCUs you can argue mm-hmm. being Howard and being on the White House I think is amazing so I'm, I'm looking forward to that it sucks that because people were so upset about the the fake results that President Trump was pushing that they've pretty much had to make it into a war zone down there with gates if you've ever been around there on the monuments or whatever you know it's hard enough to navigate or get in and out of those areas having all of those those gates and lockdowns, it's just going to make it even worse. Now, I do think that they'll keep both of them safe. It'll go off without a hitch. I hope so. Especially, look, I was worried about Obama being president for eight years Same. and people trying to kill Same. him. And he made it through. They, they did what they were supposed to do. So I have faith that they'll do what they're supposed to do and they will keep uh, that black woman safe and healthy. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm looking forward to Biden's plan. You know, he's talking about... Uh, his first 100 days in office and some of the things that he want to do. I do think that the vaccine rollout has been a fail. I think that part of the way Biden wants to roll out the vaccine is also going to be a fail. And I think it's just because they're skipping over the process of having a conversation with people. And they're talking at people. And by talking Mm -hmm. at people, I mean more. I'll take the black community, for example. Right. There's a lot of Y'all should take the virus because I mean, y'all should take the vaccine because the vaccine has killed more of y'all than anybody else disproportionate, right? Uh, but for Black people, there's a big sense of y'all have killed more than us than anybody else, right? Like dating back, like the healthcare system is not in our favor. That just goes to show everything. Look at the comorbidities that we have. Look at the Black maternal mortality rate. All of these things do not work in black people favor. So you telling us about COVID-19 and saying we should take this as a white person isn't gonna make us want to take it. Um, And so for example, we put together a conversation with Johnson & Johnson vaccine team uh, last week with a couple of black organizations within New York because I was just trying to focus on New York. Zoom call was maxed out. 300 people had like another 100 people that I was just trying to get on and cut. That's good work, man. And we started having these conversations and at the beginning, the room was really tense because people really had these conversations. They were dropping in the chat, everything they wanted to speak on. 
But the fact that they got to ask their questions, the fact that somebody stood in front of them virtually and answered these questions, and then you had other black organizations that was also there to speak up for them, translate for them, and define things for them, made them feel comfortable. Like you want to be heard, heard, man. They want to be heard and, and, and included. And as you said, not spoken to. And sp- spoken with. Spoken um, with. So I do think that he's going to need some help with that. I'm hoping that the right people get into his ear to do that. But, of course, we'll see. It's been sad. I mean, listen, I saw over the news, over the weekend in the news, I was reading Wall Street Journal, um, as you mentioned, things in his early plan, first 100 days. I forgot the exact team that he's putting him on, but there's a guy named Rohit Chopra. He was working for the SEC, has wrote a lot of research about how student debt, student loan debt, negatively affects the overall economy because you're taking some of your highest earners uh, and 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 uh, almost it paralyzing or 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 shortening their ability to truly invest into the economy to buy homes to purchase more cars this that you're you're killing their purchasing power and you know most who have student loan debt are you know the student loan debt is, is this is not like um, business debt, or this is debt directed towards educational obtaining of degrees. So most people naturally have degrees are higher earners. So these are people, if they have more discretionary income, could spend more. And as we all know, the same reason why they're giving us simulate, simul- stimulus checks to stimulate their government, if you have more money, most people will spend more money, which will drive the economy. Also, so, spend it in one way or the other. Right. Like, not purchase something directly, right. but buy stocks. Right, buy right. Drive the housing market, cars, whatever the case may be. Um, travel more, so that will affect the airline. They think for more vacations. So Rohit Chopra has wrote a lot of research on this, and Biden just put him on. I forgot the exact financial team that he just put him on, but he's put him on there. So I mean, I'm very hopeful about that. Uh, something else that I was analyzing from a business perspective, uh, Wall Street Journal was giving some insight into now that Biden has uh, the Senate also. Uh, certain companies, certain sectors that are slated to do well under this administration. Because now, uh, for example, renewable energy. We know Biden's very pro-renewable energy, um, which also affects things like the e-car market. So there's a lot going on there in that market because um, you also have Governor Newsom in California who passed a, a mandate last year in 2020 that by 2030, which sounds far, but that's only nine years away, I forgot the percentage. I want to say maybe 20%. It was a very ambitious number of cars that he's mandating have to be e-cars because California has the highest smog rate by 2030. I mean, there's going to be a cap on the amount of gasoline-powered cars that could be registered. So things like that have already shot up companies like Tesla's start their stock price. And now the trajectory for them is looking even more clear with a Democrat in office and controlling the uh, House and the Senate moving into this this, this administration. Um, I don't know if you saw recently too, as a result of um, the stock price um, of Tesla, because Tesla's success has been crazy, bro. I forget this stat, it was a 695% increase Mm -hmm. in 2020 alone. Um, that for the time being, I mean, it's volatile because it's mostly based on shares own, but that's recently put um, Elon Musk over just Jeff Bezos as the richest man in the world. Um, my only thing with that, and it's just my personal take, is that um, I think some other companies, I know GM is investing a lot now into the e-car company. Um, Tesla's just, they've had production issues. 
So as the demand for this increases, because like I said, if you're having state mandates that you have, I just feel like Tesla alone can't carry this whole burden for the masses, you know? So I do think it's going to level out at some point and other companies are going to be able to make a stake in this game too, because they've had some production issues and I just don't think it's feasible for them to produce cars for the, we're going to see a huge surge in e-vehicles soon. And I don't think they could produce that large amount for everyone because they're already under delivering on promises, but yeah, they're doing great, great things. They're doing numbers. Like I said, 695% increase in one year is just, is, is, is crazy. Um, another industry that's a sector that's slated to do well is our uh, legal marijuana sector, because that's something that the Democrats have on their agenda. And now the fact that they don't have the Republican or the GOP conservative blockage, now it's more likely for these laws to pass. So that's another sector that um, I think we might see some good progress with. So as you mentioned before, investing, that's that's something we recommend our listeners look into um, over the next four years, because now that they uh, have the political party that's backing their business in power, you know, there's, you're going to you're going to see more expansion in that industry. And if I'm not mistaken, I think you had said before we start recording, um, I think you said Como right here in New York has some plans. So Como has wanted to legalize marijuana for recreational use since last year. OK, he publicly said that. Currently, okay. So currently, marijuana is legalized for medical use only you know, right. for certain diagnoses. And Jersey recently got recreational, yes. right? Right. So there's certain states that have it completely right. recreational. Right. The New York State Senate blocked the passage of marijuana being used for recreational use for very good reason, and this is why. Uh, so you know, New York City has a it's progressive, but right. it also has a certain amount of black people in power, right? Like in New York, we have the New York, we have the Black Caucus, uh, Congressional Congressional Black Caucus, mm-hmm. um, which is very powerful, and they made a great point of you cannot legalize marijuana for recreational use when one, you have a bunch of people still in prison, or who lives was disproportionately affected by prisoners' terms for marijuana, and then two when there aren't no black-owned companies for black-owned marijuana dispensaries. And also understanding that when New York created these medical marijuana dispensaries, the fees were so astronomical that there were no black ownership in it. And then they also locked it so nobody else can start a dispensary. So the the Senate of New York is saying, if you want to legalize it, one, we have to figure out reparations. Excuse me. Bless you. We have to figure out reparations for black people, that black and Latin people and people whose lives have been spent in jail because of marijuana possession. We also need to invest in black businesses of marijuana, dispensaries, whatever the case is, before you can legalize it recreationally. And what they are pointing out is that states like California, states like Washington, it made blacks miss out on millions of dollars by not investing them and making sure the playing ground was equal before legalizing it. So I completely support uh, the New York State Senate in saying that we're not going to legalize it recreationally if there's no black ownership in dispensaries. It doesn't make sense to me. You're going to legalize it and the people who was not punished for it is going to make the most amount of money off of it. And then we're going to have to come in and play catch up afterwards. Absolutely not. Make it fair ground first, and then let's legalize it. That's dope. I, I, I didn't realize that they had that foresight and that depth of um, 
knowledge as to how it particularly affects our community. And that was part of the, the, the delay into not, I thought it was just more so just politics that just not really necessarily being pro marijuana usage. I didn't realize that they were actually in tune with the fact that there are certain things that need to be made right first if this is actually going to be effective and work. Absolutely. Um, don't know some amount of herbalist still saying, I'm it in peace. But, bro, since since they decriminalized marijuana in, in New York City, bro, you, it smells like loud everywhere. I just, I, no, they might as well, bro. Like, but regular, bro. But real regular. Even if you look at it, something like 98% of the people who get arrested for marijuana charges now, right. even though it's decriminalized, or black people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mind you, they only locking them up just to bring them down and give them a ticket. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So they just fucking with them for all intents and yeah, purposes. Yeah. So even that, I want to see go away. Right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to them. And that's one of the businesses I want to get into of starting a dispensary. And having, and making it like delivery services. People could come into the shop, we'll go deliver it, we'll go, you know, because... Some of the best marijuana you get, you're going to find in black neighborhoods. Already. I mean, well, that's why. Maybe we, we got to talk more about this business plan, brother, because you can't uh, be selling cookies if you don't know what cookies taste like. <laughs> Last time I checked, bro, you ain't no herbs yet. Yeah, so, not, 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 <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's, let's sit out and talk, brother, because you're going to need people that actually know the product to advocate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I completely agree. You know, we got a bunch of people who have PhDs in marijuana, street PhDs in marijuana yeah, yeah. in these neighborhoods. Let's put them to work, make them own some of these businesses, make them partners, and we can lock down our own neighborhoods in terms of... Bro, even outside of dispensaries, I mean, uh, I know Mike Tyson has a large firm, large farm out in Vegas. The land the land cultivation itself, we don't, yeah. we, we own this, outside of Mike Tyson, I know there's some black dispensaries in California. Um, I don't think there's a lot of black folks who own the land, the culture, the, the farms out in, you know, that southwestern area, like where the climate is, you know, you're probably not going to have weed farms in New York, but Arizona, Nevada, that whole region. So I don't think we even are on that part. And that's where the real money's at, but because they, now you're actually owning the the land that, that it actually grows, you know, you don't have to get it from the grower. Yeah. Do that, uh, you know, form partnerships and collaborations with Mike Tyson to fly some of that into New York. Right. Form you know, buy some land upstate New York where it's nice and cheap. Mm-hmm. And then just have it driven down and, you know, sit to the dispensaries and move it around. True. You know, I'm giving y'all a million dollars worth of game right now. I got to keep some. Ooh, ooh, yeah, man. Oh, don't, don't take it all. Don't, don't give it all away. But now nah, I hear you, King. I hear you, man. So, you know, here we are. You know, MLK Day, mid-January. Uh, this beautiful day in Bedside, Brooklyn. Um, you know, recently. Uh, how long? Has, has it been 10 years now? Investor? Well, no, 10 years since the, the Nets moved over um, from Jersey. It's been a solid decade yet. They made that move. Maybe we're around that point. Around then, because they they were in Brooklyn when I was over on Patchen, and I moved to Patchen in 2011. Okay. So, okay. Got you. Yeah. So, it's probably a decade point. But, um, you know, compared to when we were kids growing up, there are two professional basketball teams in, in New York now. Um, and for lack of winning, and also, I think more so what it really is, is just organizational. The Knicks are really holding, particularly in the black community, are really holding on to legacy while they still have a fanship. Um, it definitely hasn't been the winning. And um, the way that organization owners, uh, Jim Dolan and co. have been moving, they're really starting to fall out of favor. Um, and, you know, amongst the younger generation and some people, you know, the, the, the Nets look up and the Nets have... Um, 
you know, made made a big acquisition recently, um, which is something that the player himself wanted, and that was bringing, um, you know, uh, a recent MVP, a player in his prom, top scorer in the league, um, James Harden to the Nets, and that, and that's something that he, he wanted. Um, you know, he he decided before the season started that you know he was over the Houston Rockets situation, where he's been the man for quite some time. That's that's been his franchise. When Daryl Morey was there, who's now in Philly, when Daryl Morey was the GM, he gave him full insight on the moves. Uh, even ask him, what do you want? Who do you want me to try to get? I'll, you know, so he's he's had the ticket there. It hasn't worked. Um, it hasn't worked. The closest they came was when they took uh, Golden State to Game Seven. But uh, remember, I think CP was out game mm-hmm. six, and then came back game no, seven. He was out, he was out game seven game. also. He got injured game five. Got, okay, got three. you. And, you know, Golden State was able to advance. But, you know, they uh, they haven't been able to make it to the finals, so they weren't even able to compete for the chip itself. Um, and there were some decent teams, but they haven't been able to get over that hunch. So he decides beginning before the season starts that he's checked out. And here's where we get to our topic because there's been some debate on this um, from former NBA players. Um, some, some, well, not some, James Harden himself saw it as hate more so. But um, there was some debate about the way James Harden went getting this trade to happen. Um, I know there was a lot of disappointment um, in the way he dealt the situation because here you have a first-year black head coach and Stephen Silas, Paul Silas, great Paul Silas' son. Um, and it's almost like this man's been trying to get this job, not particularly Houston, but it's a head coaching job for a while. He's been proving that he's a solid assistant coach. And it's almost like, damn, bro, you just throwing a wrench in this man's coaching career from early. You know, you saw players carrying on with antics in the preseason, you know. Um, there's also been a lot of commentary. You know, Shaq said this, that, bro, everybody that you've asked to come through, you know, Daryl Morey, when he was the GM, did his job to bring that for you, and it didn't work. Like, you know, like, they, they first they tried the Dwight Howard parent. Okay, boom, scrap that. Um, CP. Okay, boom, that ain't work. Scrap that. Westbrook, one that you scrap. You know, it's just like we trying to give you the pieces. It's not work, but it's like how much of it is you? You know. Um, so they bring in John Wall, and we know John Wall off of injury, Boogie off injury too. But they they make some moves in the off season, and uh, he's like, I'm checked out. And you know, you had the whole footage that went out showing him out. You know, being James Harden partying. You know, doing his thing. Strip club, club showing with the rappers. You know, and I don't knock what he does in his, his uh, personal time because that's never really affected his ability to play ball. I'll say one thing about that. Except, like, for, the he, except for the playoffs, you know, where he doesn't show up. But for the most part, he he could ball. We know that. But um, the way he went about the situation um was critiqued by many. Um, Shaq mostly. Um, was was very vocal about it, and and and, and other um, players um, didn't really appreciate the lack of professionalism that he he had displayed. Um, so after the move was made, I thought that James Harden made this very interesting line where he said uh, he posted this. He said, "We do all this talking about uplifting the next African American athlete, male, and some of these ex NBA players use national TV or their own social media to do the opposite. I see it." I just say to myself, the real never lose. So, salute to Dwayne Wade for being solid. And the reason why he was saying salute to Dwayne Wade is because Dwayne Wade had tweeted out shortly before that, let's talk about this narrative. James Harden looks happy, and there's no price tag. That's him in the Brooklyn uniform. And there's no price tag for that feeling. Could have handled it better, yes. But, but couldn't we all? I'm happy for this black man. 
And, you know, D-Wade's always done a good job at, you know, staying in the middle of situations and never really getting on the sticky side of situations. But I want to go back to Harden's comment. And, and just sometimes a an a, a issue I kind of have with our culture on a whole, or just maybe not even a culture, sometimes it says men, with older men and younger men. And critique or honest feedback is not always hate. Like we gotta, I don't think any of the, the criticism that Harden received was hate criticism. I do think from, and not from, you know, just analysts like Steve A, those guys from former NBA players, NBA players who've won championships, which Harden has yet to do, say like, yo, bro, you ain't really go about it the right way. You ain't really go, you, you, you know, you didn't really, you know, I remember Boogie made the comment before he got traded when he was like, what do you think about the disrespect? And then Boogie was like, because he was mentioning Harden's comments that he just said, and Boogie was like, I mean, the disrespect started before the season started with just the attitude from the from the from the jump. Um and yeah, I think a lot of players are just, you know, accountability saying like, you know, well, you ain't really go about this the right way. And I understand the whole idea of controlling your narrative and your prime years fleeting and hey, hopefully this works out for him. But the the way he went about it, I feel like that was more so the narrative that players like Shaq was trying to make. And then it's almost like Harden made it seem like it was a personal thing. Like what does that got to do with uplift? Like, so if I want to be about pro uplifting the black man or black athletes doing their thing, I should never critique them or quit. And it, I don't know. That's just something that kind of just bothers me sometimes in our culture where it's like anytime you try to give something open critique, you hating on a person. It's like, I don't think it's hate, bro. Like, I don't think he has an issue with you, you know? So I think people have to learn the difference between honest critique and hate. And I understand that the line could be blurry sometimes, mm-hmm. <laughs> but people have to understand that, yes, we do go through a period where you want to be critiqued when you're a public figure to some extent. And for Harden, Harden was somebody who was part of a deep team in OKC and decided he wanted to be the man. Went on to be the man, but also was in a very good situation where they tried to get him as many pieces as possible. And to the extent of him even demanding that they trade away some pieces when they held him accountable, like Chris Paul. He wanted Chris Paul gone. And they shipped Chris Paul away. Regardless of what you say about Chris Paul, every team he's on is going to be competitive. They might not be capable of winning the championship, but they're going to be in the playoff hunt or make the playoffs. Look what he did with OKC last year. So you ship away that kind of piece where if Harden wanted to leave, he could have left then. And I would have rather had Chris Paul to build around in Houston than have John Wall or then have Russell Westbrook. So I can understand Houston's frustration of we've done this to you on top of they're paying him the supermax amount of money that Mm -hmm. any player can actually be paid and then being frustrated. So I get that. And I could have also understood if they would have been like, let's reopen your contract and you get back some of your money and we trade you then. Because you went out, I give you out. Give me back some of the stuff I gave you to put you in a situation because you're not helping me right now moving you moving you out. I understand Harden wanted to be happy and there's nothing wrong with that. I understand him forcing a trade because there also is nothing wrong with that. I understand him, like it's okay for him to defend himself without calling it hate. He could have told Shaq, look Shaq, you was in Orlando and it didn't work out for you. And then you got shipped off to, or to the Lakers with a great coach and won three championships. And then when it didn't work out in L.A. for you, 
you jump ship and was out and went to Miami and won another championship. And then you also try to bounce around at the end of your career to win other championships, like going to Cleveland and play with LeBron, things like that. So you can defend yourself without calling it hate, and that's just engaging in argument. Right, right. You can engage in argument and have discourse without it actually being hate. Right. And also or making it seem like the person that's critiquing you is giving you a personal attack. Because in that whole retort that you mentioned, that's more so, okay, you're going to critique the way I went about movement and team or, you know, organizational movement. I'm going to critique your organizational movement, but not necessarily so much you, the man you are yourself and what your intentions are. You know, without playing the black card of we supposed to be uplifting one each other. It's one thing for us to uplift each other. Then it's another thing for us to critique us in our craft. So... If Shaq and them would have said, and maybe they did, I'm just not aware of it, but if they would have been like, yo, you're making black people look bad, you're supposed to be a black man about your business and holding this franchise down, and you're not doing that, cool. Because now you're going at somebody's like blackness, and that's unfair. But in, from a business sense, this makes the most sense for James Harden. He's, he's still somewhat in his prime, and he also has realized, even though he probably won't say it, he can't win it being a man. He can't win it being the number one option. Disorder or solely, at least. Right? Solely. No, no. He can't win it being the number one option. He has now realized this. They have tried it in several situations, and he could... KD he coming off the... I think he could be the number one option in Brooklyn. No, no. KD's the number one option. But but right now... So, right. I mean, we only, they only played one game together no, so no, no. far. Listen to what I'm telling you. KD, and the way KD ego works is, he's the number one option. When you watch them play... When KD gets well, to the point where he been a lot, There hasn't hands, been a lot to watch. No, no, no. So I mean, just Oh, you mean right generally? Now. Okay, gotcha. But even gotcha. when KD went to Golden State, KD was the number one option. Oh, yeah, but they knew that. That was exactly. part of him coming there. And yeah. that's what I'm saying. KD is at the point but where... But that's pre-Achilles injury and anything. But KD is... His mindset is, whoever plays with me, I'm number one, you're number two. Right? Like, no one A, one B, you're number two. Like, Kyrie had to understand that he was going to be the second option because Kyrie is similar to Harden. Kyrie left LeBron and wanted to be on his own and now has realized, I can't win it being the number one option, and I also don't want the attention. But I think between, I think KD and Harden is really, I mean, I think Kyrie and Harden are going to flip-flop on who's two and who's three from a night-to-night basis. I really do. If Kyrie's, if Kyrie's mind is, if he's back. that's because another question. Kyrie's another place with another person who they've kind of criticized, similar to how they've criticized Harden. Right. And like and the way he's going about certain You should things. retire from basketball if you want to be disinvolved in politics. First of all, nah, I, I, I heard that, and and I, I had issues with the whole retirement thing. I, I I think what Stephen A was more so saying. So I don't think I think Stephen A was saying. If you're going to be involved in social and political issues to the level where you can't do your job, right? And he was also saying, because people, i.e. LeBron, have shown a level of balance with doing both. But if you're going to be involved to the level where you're just missing games, straight up missing games, and you can't vocalize that to to your team, then I think you should retire from that. So, so put it like it's like all right, we all have something to do, right? We have a but if, if you're gonna get involved in a side venture or, or or something else to the level that it's going to diminish your ability to do your main thing, then maybe you might want to step away from the main thing because 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 you're not showing an ability to balance it. I don't think Kyrie needs to retire, but I I did 
that did strike a chord with me because as a Kyrie fan and me just, you know, being a fan of his game, I'm like, dog, like you're straight, you're healthy and you're just missing games, bro. Like, and I, and I'm all for what he's doing, but I'm like, bro, is, isn't there a better way to balance this out? Like my argument is I don't not know. about that part of Kyrie. My problem is with Stephen A mm-hmm. making comments like this repeatedly. So when he made this comment about Kyrie, he used LeBron as a defense. Right. But when LeBron was doing it, he, he had a similar That's comment true. to LeBron. That's true. Yeah, yeah. When Kaepernick was doing it, it was yeah, yeah. Kaepernick is more so mm-hmm. concerned with being a martyr than actually playing. True, true. I get that it may be very hard for Stephen A to do multiple things at the same time that's outside of sports like I very Whistle well and ride a bike. right like I understand it's very difficult for him to do that right I understand that he's also part of you know because black people we we tend to be on one of two sides when you're successful right one side is I made it nobody else has an excuse so you should be able to make it and then the other side of success is we all need help and I was I made it through help through tremendous help through systemic programs so I want to get back to that Stephen A. falls on that. I made it so there's no excuses. And I distance myself from those people completely, right? But Stephen A. brings that into his work That's all fair the point. time. Fair point. So when he critiqued LeBron, like I, I purposely saved something he said on ESPN radio, criticizing LeBron and saying LeBron is leading people the wrong way just because he's standing up and doing things like, I'm going to play where I want to play. I'm going to determine my deals. I'm going to, you know, every time they talk about sports freedom and athletic freedom, he has a critique of it. So Stephen A doesn't get to make that point. That's fair. Well, you, you, can't, you can't use the same person that you, you use as bait on the rod yes. to now use as defense. To, yeah. So, that, that, so that's my biggest thing. And I think I think what Kyrie needs to do is find a balance. A balance, bro. Find a happy medium. But bro. I think what it is is that what he's involved in, meaning this injustice struggle, can be very overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. Know right, right, it. right. Yeah. Especially when you are first taking it on. Mm-hmm. I look at it as I just saw real quick when we took a break. I saw on my timeline, Stephen Jackson said that he bought George Ford, George George Floyd's family a house. Oh, Kyrie, Kyrie did. Right. And so it's not so, like he's not doing the work. Like we so know, he's, he's but, doing it's, so, but it just it got to work better. I think this is his first time filming it mm-hmm. as a person. Mm-hmm. So Kyrie grew up in to Jersey, some extent, suburban, yeah, shelter, yeah. And hasn't really had to deal with this. And when we are sheltered, we're, we're blinded. Mm-hmm. We don't know the real world. So the insight's kind of like but really as a black you feel person, like... when, it, when it hits you, like this could take a hold of your spirit. That's like real. you think about people who started calling out of work after George Floyd, people who cried on Zoom calls That's talking real. about That's this. Real. People, I had students who had to turn off their camera when I was having conversations about this. That's real. Right? And, it's, and it also seems like Black athletes don't really have an avenue to come out and say, I need to talk about this and get this off my chest without being judged. I just need to get this off. So it can consume you if you don't have it. And I think it's consuming him right now. And he just needs to come to the place where somebody helps him find the balance. Somebody helps him to understand it's okay to be fucking angry at what's going on in the world and still play. In fact, it's okay to also channel some channel. of that anger into your play. I would love to see it. And then use your platform at the end of I every game. I would love game to see it. To talk about it. Best like handles I've ever seen. I would love to see so it. So it's, it's, it's okay to do that. So that that's my thing with Kyrie. I think he needs to find that balance. And I get that as somebody who works with young black boys all the time for a living. 
who mentors, who who talks to and does all of these things. I get that. I can see that in him. Dope, bro. Listen, man. I, I hope he's he's checked in. I hope he's here for the long haul and can mentally find that balance. Cause you put you put that uh, that trio together with with what they already have. You know, with with uh the bench that they were able to retain after the trade. You know, they they still have uh Landry Shemet. Um, Dinwiddie's hurt, unfortunately, for the rest of the year. But that's that's still someone I have on the roster for next yeah, year three too. And yeah, uh, Green, um, Jeff Green. You know, still got a solid squad. Um, still got DeAndre down low. So listen, man, that easily that easily makes them the favorite out the East with that team. It's it's it's, 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 it's the Lakers versus them. So it should be. Listen, and I, look, let me tell you this: I would love to see it because if it turns out the Lakers versus Brooklyn, yeah, yeah. guess who's gonna be in the arena come June watching games? Me, how I'm gonna buy some seats. Is it going to be available to the public? Yes. Okay. I didn't I'm know telling you what. So part of that rollout and getting people vaccinated is once you get a certain amount of people vaccinated, they're going to first start saying you can come if you have like vaccination paperwork. Okay. Because we know that y'all won't spread it to each other. We also know that more importantly, nobody will actually get sick for coming to the event. So damn, if I don't get this vaccine, they're gonna tell me I can't pull up to public events. Or it may get to the point where if enough people get vaccinated, we may Damn, establish some form of herd immunity where we've pushed the numbers of COVID so far down and we don't have to worry about it. And if there is a breakout, we can do a true quarantine where we keep those people together okay. and we don't have to worry about it. Well, I sincerely do hope that at least by the playoffs come April that... um you know, it won't be a bubble playoffs again and that like some kind of like the NFL did it where some folks are able to come to the to the arena because I, 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 I do miss also, going to games. I, so I, I like to see that. I so maybe by, in the second by, round, by, by, the second, by the second round of the playoffs. But also remember the playoffs is pushed back this year. Okay, like, gotcha. Yeah. Two weeks because it's okay. started later. So that would be dope. So yeah, I think that would be dope. Maybe we'll start getting people into actual arena. arena. a good size amount of people. That would be dope. I would like to see that. Good talk on sports there, brother. Absolutely. Um, segue into music real quick. There hasn't been a lot of major releases so far this year. It's been but long. Jasmine Sal- Jasmine Sullivan's um album has definitely been making um a, a lot of talk. A, a, a lot of talk. Uh, the the review and the fanship of it has been high. I didn't get I didn't get to give it multiple listens. I I, I did do like uh one one a run through after uh she did um what I like to watch on NPR, these Tiny Desk performances, where they perform on NPR music with a live band. So she performed with a live band, did some old stuff too. They only did like two things off the new album. Um, and then she and her did a duet um, that they have that's on the, on the album. But the album is called Hotels, spelled H-E-A-U-X, Hotels. And it's, it's, it's a lot of um, transparency and, and, and reclaiming certain narratives particularly from a woman's perspective but i'll let you more so lead this convo like i said i i kind of after i saw the performance but i gave it a one through i didn't um listen to all the songs there was one song though fellas um make sure <laughs> make sure your lady listens to this because this this is the energy bro just just play it in the car don't even just play it in the car play a little inception let let the song sit in her mind let her think about it it's uh i think is it put it down yeah, put it down. So, yeah, put it down. Let's play. Put that and play it in the car, fellas. Let's play it in the car. Let your lady hear that and and think about what she want to do when y'all get home. You know. But I hand it over to you, bro. Like I said, you actually heard the album, digested it. You could speak more to the the points that she's she's making on it. So I think it's. I like that you use the word transparent. I think it's just a another side of the truth for women to talk about and the things they go through. 
and it's not it's not that all women feel this way but some women actually do feel this way like when she talked about her going through her phase where people and i hate when they use this term whole phase quote unquote but her being able you know going home with different people having sex with different people because sometimes women actually go through that the same way that men go through that and you know what if they do go through that more power to them because it's their power it's their choice she also talked about making decision based on the dick meaning she was getting fucked so good that she's she was allowing negativity and toxicity into right. her life now i would really prefer if a woman get digmatized by somebody who also also takes care of the takes care of her. I think that's a perfect combination. Try to tell my lady all the time. That's how blessed she is. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah, but you know, like you know, look, lay it down. Also, you know, be able to call, check on them, take them out, hang right. out, buy them gifts, do all these good things. Good person, doing so, the right thing, gentlemen. But her talking about it, right? And right. That song that you referred to, her saying that you know she want to sit on it, but what did the guy do to deserve it? First of all, fellas. If a woman asks you that and your response is not because I said so, you just might be in trouble in whatever situation you have. If you have to actually explain to her why she needs to do that, you're just in trouble, bro. I'm, I don't know what other way to put it. Facts. So uh, I think it was that transparent conversation that women needed to have to be able to have ownership of their own bodies unapologetically. Mm-hmm. And, and, and their thoughts as well. Absolutely. The, the, the way they do not having to constantly uh, explain or, or feel guilty for their thought process and how they're moving through relationships or moving through sexual endeavors and things of that nature. Because it's the truth. Sexual relationships. And it's, and it's you, because you, a lot of people talk about that with Lori Harvey now being with Michael B. Jordan and saying, that, oh, she jumped around from men to men. I was like, so what? She decided if she is not happy in a situation, she's going to move. And it's kind of... She dating. It's, I'm she young. Yeah. She dating. I don't really but it's, see that. It's kind of like the album that Jasmine Sullivan put out. Like a woman, woman going to take ownership and do whatever the hell they want to do. Which, you know what? It's about damn time. Do what you want to do because I know personally me, I'm going to do what I want to do. Men are going to do what they want to do. That's a fact. Whatever's going to make them happy. Yeah, so good. if she decides she's not happy in that situation and she wants to dip and go to another situation, cool. And, and, and she oh. gets out of the future, the future situation without a baby. Absolutely. He wasn't successful. Absolutely. Because you know he was trying. That man, know, <laughs> he, he know he was trying. You know we don't miss. You know we don't miss. Right? But, like, when you, and you also see her, like, she's some, she's with somebody now, Michael B. Jordan, who doesn't play a thug. Right, know, he doesn't right, play right, 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 right. So it's just. Not saying that he might not have dude, toxic qualities but, but he's not portraying he's not that. Yeah, he's not portraying you know, that. And, yeah. and sometimes he might be a little corny. Right. Right? And I often tell women, yo, you need to. If you're really looking for love and to be with somebody, date somebody a little corny. Right. And there's like, levels to there's like, levels to the corny, but yeah. Yo, a little yeah. Growing up, me being smart, being a nerd, that was considered corny. Yeah, fuck. I just had the hoodlum side to balance it. Right, but right, right. I yeah. got parts of me that's a little I, I know I got corny parts of me. Right? Yeah. So sure. I, sure. I often tell women, yo, you wanna be happy, you wanna do something, date somebody a little corny because And not only that, who's that's who's who's cool. Because I think that's, that's the key thing that might separate us from typical, quote-unquote, corny brothers. Like, who's confident in what those corny things are? Oh, absolutely. So, like, like for, for like for like you, like, the way you are with, like, Marvel and stuff like that. Like, you know, yeah. you got the comic book nerd, but then you also got the dude who's, like, you, who's balanced. But, like, the stuff that you're about, you're really into it, and, and, you, and you don't feel the way about that. For me, it's stuff like history and geography. Like, 
I always loved Mass this that, but I'm not. You're not gonna make me feel like I'm a nerd on corny because of a corny, a quote unquote corny trait. Yeah, you it's know, a stereotype. Yeah, it's a stereotype. And exactly. I, just, and, a lot, and that's what I really meant by date somebody that's a little corny. Meaning they have they have something that's stereotyped as corny. Right. But when you break it down and you with somebody, it's actually dope as hell. Mm-hmm. So I often tell, like, I give that advice to my younger cousins, sisters, siblings, all of that, all the time. And uh, I think that's about it, man. I think we, we key key about track that. on the album, key track to look out for. Um, no, you know what? I like the interludes more than I like the tracks, okay. but the tracks are good. Okay. So like that, uh, Aries tell. Cause oh, the Ari- yeah, and yes. then the track right after. When I did she hear goes, would say like, yeah. if I ever told you who I was dating, they would judge me, and she they told her, do you know what Google said? And she was like, I know what Google said, but I also know what that dick said. It spoke life into me. Like, that's just hilarious to me. So I, I really enjoyed it. I think you, you know, put it on, press play, listen to it all the way through. Have fun. It's a good, and it's only like 32 minutes long, right? So it's not long. It's something that you can play, whether you by yourself or you with your lady. Facts. Um, have you taken a look at, um? I don't know if you've seen the movie yet also, uh, American Skin, the no. joint uh, directed by uh, Nate Parker. I think no, it just dropped over the weekend. I wa- but I do want to. I do want to take it in though. Yeah. So we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk about it on on a future episode. But though, bro, great kickoff to the new year from the block to the boardroom. It was great chatting with you today, King. We'll be back soon. Next episode, we got something special for y'all too. Stay tuned, y'all. Absolutely. Peace.